0: Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host with the most, Shanna. Hi. Hi. Is PJ. No.
1: Yep. Nope. It's Pukwa PJ.
0: That's better. Okay, good. Seems like I <laughs> got a little confused since you were in charge last week. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode, Honey Bunny.
1: So yeah, I was thinking of uh, just talking about the Enfield House and, uh, you know, there's just so many things. The Winchester Mansion. Um, I, I really wasn't sure what I was going to choose for this week.
0: So you chose none because I'm in charge. <laughs> Don't get are, ahead are of you, yourself you sure? now. Don't get you, ahead you of you yourself. Sure? Uh, I will never let you in charge again if you keep that up, <laughs> Mr. You did an excellent job. People were commenting on Facebook and on Twitter. They're upset because you made them question whether you know it's actually real or not.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so shout out to I've been questioning
1: it for years. So welcome oh. to my <laughs> welcome to uh, just my state of being when it comes to that topic.
0: Well, even Kyle has his own creepy thought about it. We finally creepy get to bring thoughts back. back. So exciting. But this week we are going to focus locally. We're going to focus on. Coal mines in Pennsylvania. Are you excited?
1: I am. Good. Because there's just, there's some haunted mine footage I want to talk about at some point I on agree. this show.
0: Um, So I thought I would do a little background on coal mines in general, because, like, not everyone's from rural Pennsylvania, obviously. And as
1: someone who's been on the uh, Lackawanna coal mine tour three times, I feel like I'm an expert.
0: you you mark. You're our coal mining expert.
1: One time I was in the third grade when I went and... Uh,
0: I did the Pioneer Tunnel twice. <laughs> <laughs> on field yeah, that's, uh, children. Yeah, that's the one
1: I was talking about. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I got to ra- ride the uh, the train once. I was very sad. I never got to do it the other two times.
0: I ride it both times. <sighs> yep. I don't want to brag, but...
1: i very sad. I don't even remember riding the train. I just know I rode it. And like the fact that it's not in my memory hurts.
0: Well, it's very exciting. Sorry that you missed out. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> it sucks to be you. It's what you get for trying to take say and feel and all that kind of no 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 you get out of here. <laughs> all right, you must be from our area to completely understand the need and want of coal mines, in my opinion. Pennsylvania is one of the only areas with anthracite coal, which is the best coal for heating.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: During its heyday, we had many rich coal mining towns due to the world's need for this specific type of coal. However, digging into the earth for this mineral had its own dangers, from health ill effects to the ever-present fear of mine collapses. Walking through the woods in our area, you will definitely come across at least one or two small coal mines. and If you're not careful, you could fall down a small one. Which they tell you in the Pioneer Tunnel, uh, like that whole, that whole presentation. Mm-hmm. They take you out on the train, and they want to say, you see out right there? That's an exposed coal mine. That's an exposed mine, because people on their own farms would dig into their own earth and try to find coal. (laughs) But since then, the world has moved to other forms of heating agents, so coal mining is a dying business, both monetarily and bodily.
1: Uh, Uh, Pretty good. uh, Pretty good. Are are we going to mention the most famous coal mine real quick? I'm going
0: to mention lots of stuff. Okay. So that brings us to tonight's podcast episode... The Shepton Miracle. Now, had you ever heard of this before? No. No. Okay. It's pretty cool. It is not the most famous one, but it does rank in like the top, yeah. uh, I want to say the top. So top? we're
1: not talking about, talking about the most famous coal mine real quick?
0: The most famous coal mine or coal mine disaster?
1: Coal mine disaster.
0: Shh. I have a whole list. Okay. i are going to go over all of them.
1: Excellent. Okay.
0: Okay. So... The Shepton Miracle is one of the area's most famous coal mine disasters due to its inclusion of almost death. And death for somebody. Complete darkness, not unlike The Pit in the Pendulum by Poe. Otherworldly entities, possibly alien, but most likely angelic. A pope. And maybe some light cannibalism. Mm. All the above. And it makes for quite the story, as you will soon find out, Puckwa PJ. But first, I would like to acknowledge my references for this evening. Cole Region Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit, by Maxim W. furick And Shepton, The Myth, Miracle, and Music, also by Maxim W. Furick. I would also like to personally thank our devout listener, Penne, for buying me the Shepton book, which is personally signed by the author. And for letting me borrow the hoodoo book. It's made for some awesome reading, couldn't put it down. And shout out to Kyle, who also has the hoodoo book, and he said he finished it and he loved it.
1: My references are <laughs> a couple trips to a coal mine.
0: <laughs> and your brain?
1: That's that's about it. That's what I got.
0: You are such an expert am, this evening.
1: I bring a lot to the table. You did
0: literally. <laughs> I see there's so much in front of you.
1: There's yup. <laughs> there's a microphone All
0: <laughs> right.
1: I have this joke book
0: no this is a scary <laughs> pot again this is <laughs> anyway before heading into the book and the story, Can I, I go feel into the book. Yes, you're gonna dive right into it like yes. deep dive get get your diving gear ready okay. I feel it's necessary to create a backdrop of coal mining for our listeners abroad. Again, if you're not familiar with our area, you have no understanding of the impact of coal mining, and then of course the impact of a loss of interest yeah. in it later. So many once booming coal mining towns are now destitute and they just cling to their memories of the past. It's heartbreaking. Like we used to work at Mount Carmel and
1: mm-hmm. it was a
0: coal mining industry, as was its sister school Shimokin. Yep.
1: And you hear North about Northumberland, the- coal mm-hmm. township, uh and even down like west virginia there's like welch west virginia um which anyone who's read glass castle you know that's an old coal mining town that just is a shadow of its former glory
0: well and it's just really sad because you hear them talk about their their days and how great they used to be and how rich they used to be and now it's just these like shanty towns you know
1: oh yeah it's so sad to drive through those towns
0: (laughs) yeah Added to this, of course, is the fact that so many men risk their lives daily to bring coal to the surface of the earth for use. Their constant work in the bowels of the earth led to many health issues, like black lung, and cancer, and ever-present dangers like Mm cave-ins. What thought? So, black lung. You know what it is. Yes. What is it?
1: It is continually breathing in soot and coal dust and everything for continual, like continuous periods of time. And it clings to the inside of your lungs, and you just have this horrible cough and can't breathe properly.
0: Yep. it is. They actually call it CWP as well, but black lung is the common name. So in 1831, a doctor... Coughing
1: doc- with penalties.
0: Yes. Yep. That's what I it nailed is. Nailed it. In 1831, <laughs> a doctor in Edinburgh, Scotland, described black lung for the very first time in medical books. During an autopsy of a coal miner, the doctor stated that the man's lungs were, quote, a black carbonaceous color. So they're black lungs. <laughs> and he concluded that it must have been because of the, quote, habitual inhalation of a quantity of coal dust, yep. which, of course, is what is seen in a coal mine constantly. And something that's important, too, to note is um, when you're breathing in coal dust, it from what the book said, it feels like you're getting stabbed by little shards of, like, daggers Ooh. the whole time. Yeah. So when you're down there, you take a deep breath in of coal dust. You feel like you're being stabbed by it. Oh, my gosh. That's what they put up with. To get us
1: cool. all day, every day.
0: Yeah, of course. Another issue is cancer. Uh, in two in 2011, a peer reviewed study found that cancer rates are nearly double in coal mining industries over others. Wow. Especially in the areas where you've done uh, mountaintop removal mining. Um, so something about that just kind of brings cancerous agents to the surface, like asbestos, huh. for example. Yeah, but if you live in a, a town like that, cancer almost double. Now, of course, in the mines themselves, there were ever-present dangers. So, while cave-ins are the most obvious problem that we think of, because you mentioned that we are going to discuss some of the most famous (laughs) and most disastrous mining issues, there were other problems that were just as dangerous. So, I went to Howden.com for this. According to Howden.com, one issue was methane gas. This gas (laughs) is highly flammable and explosive. Another issue was constant water drainage issues, which you don't really think about. But if it's raining above ground and the water comes down, (laughs) it's right to you. Like, you're in trouble. So if there was no pump to remove the water from the mines, miners would drown. If ventilation was not properly maintained, miners would suffocate or explode. So that's actually called fire damp. Another gas, commonly called black damp, is carbon dioxide, not monoxide. Mm -hmm. That's a different one. It is a colorless Noxious gas that only gives off a slight acrid smell at higher concentrations. So it makes it very hard to identify through our human senses because our nose aren't as good as dogs,
1: right? Yeah, we can smell it from cars and things like that because yep. it's high, high concentration.
0: concentrations. at uh, leads to asphyxiation in humans. The early symptoms of black damp are drowsiness, dizziness, and lightheadedness, which can just be mistaken for fatigue because they're working 10 to 12 hour shifts where they're shoveling coal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're exhausted. But, of course, lethal doses of carbon dioxide leads to asphyxiation, and that can result in death within seconds, which is horrifying. Next on the list of gases was, of course, carbon monoxide, which we uh, commonly called white damp. So you got your fire damp, you got your black damp, now you got your white damp. It's colorless and odorless and is therefore very hard to detect. (laughs) That's why it's called the silent killer. And so you've heard the stories like, you know, taking canaries into coal mines. Yep. Because it kills small animals faster than us. Yep. Yeah. So moving on, the last one was called Stink Damp, which I think is hilarious, (laughs) but it's hydrogen sulfide. Uh, So it smells like rotten eggs. Yeah, it is highly toxic and it's capable of causing death in humans via asphyxiation In lower levels of it, though. It will irritate your eyes, your nose and your throat as it increases. It has a narcotic effect on your nervous system, which causes headaches, dizziness and difficulty breathing. At higher levels, it suppresses oxygen in the blood and tissues, which results in paralysis of the respiratory system and ultimately death in severe cases. Oh, also, it's flammable, so
1: watch out. Well, I mean... If your respiratory system gets paralyzed, I'm pretty sure death is about to follow. <laughs>
0: oh Yeah. So how happy for that. Yeah. Right. Eek. So yeah, those are the constant issues. You you have the worry of black lung, the possibility of cancer, which they're just finding now is like a common thread. Then you have all these different damps down there. So men who go da- like would go down daily, like they have my utmost respect because they're risking their lives daily. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was shown by this sheer number of mining accidents just in, a, in our area. The first one was on September 6th, 1869. That was the Avondale mining disaster. It claimed the lives of 108 miners, as well as two men who were trying to rescue them. And of course it was an Avondale PA. Um, There was also the twin shaft disaster in Pittston PA. That was on June 28th, 1896. 58 men and boys died. Then on April 7th, 1911, the anthracite mining disaster occurred that killed 72 men and one helper. They died via a large explosion and fire. So the one you're probably talking about was the Knox Mine Disaster with the Susquehanna River. Is that the one you're thinking of?
1: No, I was talking about Centralia.
0: Okay, well, so (laughs) I didn't put that one in here because that's... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you can discuss that in a second. Okay. But the Knox Mine Disaster is probably the most famous. It's taught in schools and discussed for its horrible conclusion. While not as many men died in this as the Avondale Disaster... This is the famous story of the Susquehanna River engulfing the illegal mine. On January 22, 1959, 12 men died from a whirlpool of river water gushing into their mines. 74 men had been in there, and thankfully, 62 men were able to escape. Of course, it wasn't good news for the 12 who passed away. This mine, to put in context, extended well out under the Susquehanna River, according to explorepahistory.com, because mm-hmm. I went on there. The Knox Coal Company and its lesser Pennsylvania Coal Company, which gets a lot of flack and, you know, we have a lot of our own stories here with Union disasters and whatnot. They had ignored map stop lines, which is where mining could not take place because of inadequate roof thickness, and they continued to mine off course. State law at this point prohibited mining within 35 feet of a riverbed.
1: (laughs) So we're going to (laughs) go under it.
0: But the river slope mine came within 19 inches of the Susquehanna. Oh, my
1: gosh. Can
0: you imagine 19 inches? They must have,
1: like, heard it above them. They did.
0: Less than two feet of rock um, and gravel separated miners from 10 billion gallons of water. The roof gave way. Water rushed in. I wonder why. I know. And with this, most mining, especially deep mining, ended, at least in the Wyoming Valley. So, <laughs> the, like, honestly, the Knoxville, the Knoxville, the Knox mining disaster um, kind of ends coal mining as an industry. There still are, you know, like, coal mining the companies that exist today, and the Shepton miracle happens in 1963, so it's still happening four years later. But you have this obvious issue where people are dying, and it's really because the owners of the companies just don't care. Yeah, they ignore the obvious issues because money is more important than these people. So you want to discuss in Trillier. Now I didn't include that because of no one knows exactly what happened. But for our yeah. listeners, go ahead.
1: So uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because it is a worldwide mm-hmm. phenomena. Scientists, geologists come over from all over the world every year to study Centralia. Uh, it was a nice little town and until uh, they say the, the general consensus is someone was burning their garbage yeah. near a, a mine shaft.
0: Well, they it, used to use mine shafts to burn garbage in because it would be a little below ground then too, yeah. right? Uh,
1: Smart and idea. He caught a vein of coal and it ignited and it's that was back in the 60s and it's still burning today
0: now recent data shows that it's actually slowing down right
1: that's what some people think think or it's like maybe it's just going deeper so we are not seeing like you know the smoke rising from the ground or but yeah it's it it seems like it's starting to slow down
0: yeah, they tried to, like dumping water in and everything to try oh, and yeah. to put the fire out, and it just didn't work.
1: Yeah. Uh, I remember driving through it as a kid and seeing smoke coming yeah. up from yeah. the ground. It was crazy. Pretty cool. It was really cool. I thought it was the coolest thing ever.
0: Yeah, but Centralia, of course, everyone was told to evacuate. Some did not. You know, they, there's they, still a couple they houses chose there. chose to live there. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there still a mayor? Of, like, I think. I think so.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, of course, it is the basis for a video game.
1: The visual basis, yeah. uh, and only for the video game movie. Um, oh. Yeah, when they are making Silent Hill the movie, they used the look and feel of Centralia to make their stage, to, to make the sets and everything.
0: I just learned something. Yeah. There we go. Well, all of this, then, sets the background for the Shepton Miracle. It was August 13th, 1963, in Shepton, PA. The mine? An anthracite coal mine owned by the Felon Coal Company. One of the men trapped was actually one of the co-owners of this company, David Felon. And now we'll take a pause and do our Kyle's Creepy Thought. Yes. Yes, I know. It's crazy. We have Kyle's Creepy Thought for the first time in a long time. Thank you, Kyle. If you listen to our brother-in-law and sister-in-law's podcast, the Liminal Unlimited, they are back from their summertime hiatus, and they mentioned us in one of their episodes actually on exorcism. So thank you for the shout-out. Go ahead.
1: I think one of the people I thought it would be a good, I idea, idea, I think, a good if be idea if we turned into some the the girl I thought it would be a good idea if we turned I thought I thought it would be a good idea. I thought I thought it would be a This is bad. This is really bad. It's a Muija?
0: so so nice to hear that again
1: it's been a while (laughs) it's It's been quite a while (laughs) so nice
0: all right so he is responding to our amityville episode
1: so Mm -hmm. go
0: ahead pj what does kyle say to us
1: all right so uh this is his message from uh that he sent us on facebook and he said i just finished listening to the Amityville episode and i liked it not so much a creepy thought but you should watch my amityville horror it's a documentary about danny lutz he talks about how george lutz was into uh, the paranormal and the occult and bought the house specifically because of the murders and the negative energy he was trying to produce phenomena that's why it started and
0: phenomena e- doo, 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 doo. okay
1: and ended with them when they left so you know it explains it just, why yeah. no other family had anything in, going on in the house but danny confirms that there was phenomena Happening. Thank you for giving me a pause. (laughs) Which included getting thrown down a staircase, even if the book was embellished to make it sell better. The hoax stuff actually didn't start until George got into a dispute with the publishing agent over money and rights. Hmm. The agent decided to tank everything to get back at George by telling the media it was all a big lie. I think the book and the movie are obvious frauds. But it's been established since then that George was an occult practitioner, which backs up Danny's story, and he says that stuff did happen and they were so scared that they ran. Other than that documentary, he's not super public about it and doesn't seek out opportunities to make money off of it. Yeah. So I kind of believe Danny. More than the Warrens, who had a tendency to believe that could override their skepticism too often. Plus... They needed hauntings to fuel their books, and speaking of engagements over uh, which over time can cloud judgment. Anyway, just my thoughts after listening.
0: We have to watch that now.
1: Yeah, I saw clips of it, um, but I couldn't really find the the whole thing, the whole thing. to watch. Well, so because Kyle do...
0: owns it and we can just steal it from him.
1: Yeah, I do want to watch it. And the movie.
0: Bada but um. Watch Ryan Reynolds.
1: No, not that one. <laughs> With <the> beard.
0: <laughs> thank you, Kyle. I agree. Like, it's, I want to believe it's real just because it's such a fascinating story. You yeah. Know, like, I, I, apart from the pig, like, <laughs> that's when you've gone too far. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> He's but. the bestest pig.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Look at him now. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. So, thank you, Kyle. I agree. And I want to hear creepy thoughts from here on out. Let's go. Chop, chop. Get back. Now that you're back in the saddle, don't Stop. All right, so now let's discuss the Shepton miracle. As I said...
1: Let's dig in.
0: Okay, that's actually pretty good. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm not even going to roll my eyes, though. I'm proud of that one. Let's
1: get buried in information. Oh,
0: we're going to get buried, and then we're going to possibly see a pope and eat people. But you know, it's fine. Whoa. It's fine. Yeah, it's going to get real.
1: Never thought those two would be juxtaposed (laughs) together, but let's...
0: I know. So let's go ahead. It was a Tuesday. As I told you, it was August 13th. Hmm. 13th. Hmm. Just Mm.
1: saying.
0: shortly before 7 a.m. Three men were underground beginning the day's work. They were Dave Felon, Hank Throne, and Louis Bova. Shoveling coal into the prehistoric buggy, they were just completing their usual job. About 8.50 a.m., they sent a loaded buggy up the 40-foot slope. What happens is the buggy is connected to cables and is drawn up the slope on iron rails. It's dumped out and then sent back down empty for more coal. If you have seen any coal movie, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yep,
1: sometimes they had donkey carts, too. but
0: In this case, they had cables. So, the donkeys had the day off. On this day, as the buggy was headed back down, empty, the hoisting cable snapped, setting the buggy off the iron rails and pummeling down 300 feet into the depths. On its careening path down, it took out wooden beams that were there to support the roof. From there, broken rocks and coal flew down at the miners like bowling balls. The structural timber beams fell down, bringing the roof with it. The escape route was caved in, with tons of debris for almost 70 feet above the miners. There was no way out. They were trapped 331 feet below the surface of the earth. Now, Felon, who was one of the co-owners, knew what happened immediately. However, he was on the ground, body aching. He couldn't see through the particles of dirt and rock. The air was clogged with dirt and coal dust. He tried to breathe in two gasps of air, but he sucked in the tiny daggers of coal. Throne recollected later that after the first cave-in, there were five or six others. Due to the debris and gravity, this forced them to continually look for safe places to hide. He stated, In the first hour and a half, we just sat there against the wall while debris piled higher before us in the tunnel. The rumbling from the cave-in lasted that long. There were others later. And something I don't want to talk about, too, but it's important, is when these cave happen, it is so loud that your ears are ringing. It's like shooting a gun in a basement, as we mentioned before. Yeah. right? But, like, that constant sound, it's awful. And so Throne's ears were just ringing, like, nonstop, like he had tinnitus. Hmm. When the first cave-in happened, Felon and Throne were on one side of the railroad tracks and Bova on the other, due to the fact that Bova had been the one to signal the buggy to be pulled up initially. After that cave-in, they were able to verbally talk to him. Bova stated that his leg was broken badly and he was in extreme pain. After this, they never heard from him again. The assumption is that after the cave-ins, he was killed. Felon and Throne survived in what miners called monkey shafts. These were small shafts set apart from the main shaft where the men usually would store supplies, but that they could dive into for safety during a collapse such as this. This monkey shaft was about six feet high and went to about 18 inches in the rear. While they would have to search for other monkey shafts throughout their five-day ordeal, the most commonly noted prison in which they lived was nine feet by 14 feet. It was tiny. And so what happens is in the story, the size and location of their prison changes because within like five days they had to keep searching for different monkey shafts pretty yeah. much as they're crawling looking for safety so i'm going to stick with the nine feet by 14 feet as a general idea of how small their yeah their safety was
1: yeah jail cell size essentially a little yeah. bit bigger
0: so how big is a jail cell
1: uh eight by 12 i believe
0: oh so yeah okay so this is their yeah <laughs> two men stuck together in here yeah mm-hmm. um and of course you're thinking oxygen right Adding to the frequent cave-ins was the near and total darkness. The power line to the work lights broke, so for the first few hours, the only light they actually had was from their helmets, but those lamps burned out as well. The matches wouldn't burn down there in that pit, so for all the days they were there, they sat in darkness, but not in quiet. The continual fall of debris went on for all the days, so they couldn't even have a moment of peace. In complete darkness, Felon and Throne searched for Bova and a way out on their hands and knees. All the while they breathed in the dust and coal, choking constantly. They were literally buried alive and had a constant fear of lack of oxygen, lack of water, and coal smashing down on them. In an instance of practicality, the men found all the loose and broken timbers they could and propped them against the roof of the chamber for protection. The roof line was so low that they could not stand. They had to crawl. Felon, a man of much mining experience, knew they would struggle with hypothermia, claustrophobia, dehydration— And madness from the lack of light. So, PJ, so far, how you doing?
1: I hate all of
0: this. (laughs) Yep, me too.
1: Oh, this is terrible.
0: Uh, The biggest thing for me is, like, stuck in one small room and it's completely dark. And knowing that we're running out of oxygen, like that would just cause me to hyperventilate. Like, yeah, right like there.
1: claustrophobia would yeah. kick in very fast. Yeah,
0: And so it's interesting to hear Felon's story versus Throne because Felon is an older man. He has seen it all, done it all. He could even like when he heard the sound of the rock falling, he could pinpoint how many feet of rubble was between them and the and the top of <laughs> the ground. Like he's like, I it it's about 70 feet of just debris. And he was right. It was 71. Huh. <laughs> Then you have Throne, who's twenty-eight, and it's like this is new to him, and he's like, We're gonna die we're gonna <laughs> die. So, having one of each in there. So to offset dehydration, because Fella knew this was the biggest issue, he had them suck as much much moisture as they could from the wooden timbers that they had propped against the roof. They also found a small stream running through the mine. Sadly, they had to resort to drinking from a brackish and stinky pool of sulfur water. They also chewed on small pieces of wood to fill their stomachs and to stop their hunger pangs. The probability of hypothermia was very high. The mine was 50 degrees. Now, while in Pennsylvania we joke that 50 degrees is t-shirt weather, (laughs) and we start putting on shorts (laughs) and flip-flops, being in a mine at this temperature continually can actually cause frostbite. If a human body drops below 95 degrees Fahrenheit, hypothermia sets in. Mm -hmm. So uh, Throne and Felon both knew this was what was happening to them. They could feel their core temperatures dropping. Throne's body started shivering and his teeth chattered, so badly he had to actually clamp his mouth shut. And even though he fell on his face initially and got beat up in the face and his mouth was like in so much pain, he had to clench his mouth shut so his teeth would stop chattering. Mm. Yeah. They did the only thing they could to offset hyperthermia. Throne stated, to keep warm, I'd sit with my legs spread and David would sit between my legs with his back to me and I'd breathe on his back and neck. All the time we'd be rocking back and forth also to keep warm. Then David would switch and do the same to me. We would do this for five to 10 minutes at a time. Then we would stop, but only for five minutes, say, because then we'd be cold again. Most times it felt like thirty degrees above zero. Felon added to this by stating, to keep warm, we'd sleep face to face with our arms around each other. We'd sleep maybe half an hour, and then the cold would wake us and we'd start rocking again to get some circulation. Which I think is pretty smart, and again, whatever it takes for to stay warm. And actually they were wearing uh thermal underwear and everything too, and they were still that cold. Yeah.
1: Well then yeah, like when We go, you know, if you've ever been into a cave or a mine, you know that it gets cold down there very quickly. Yeah, they every gift shop sells hoodies, you know. (laughs) Yep. Uh, and they always recommend bring, you know, wear pants, bring, bring a sweatshirt because it's cold in there
0: even yeah Penn's cave same thing we went there Mm -hmm. in summertime it was like 90 degrees outside we went down on that boat like oh it feels so good natural ac and then like you're halfway through i'm really cold and the kids are shivering against you and they're in and then the
1: boat like comes out into the lake and you hit the sun you're like ah yes
0: and then it starts (laughs) feeling humid because you're on water You're like i want to go back in the cave (laughs) and then you're cold again anyway
1: and also like the blackness of it too Mm -hmm. because you don't experience pitch black often you know, it, there's always ambient light mm-hmm. from either moonlight or streetlights or whatever. There's always some kind of light. So you're you're it's not pitch black. But down there, it's nothing.
0: Yeah. Well, and for a while after their lamps went, there was a story that, of course, that phone has a watch. And so that gave him a little bit of light. But even that didn't work after a while. Mm. So and he knew that they would have partial blindness for a while because lack of vitamin A. Mm -hmm. So like Felon knows everything and he knows what's happening. So he's trying to stay calm and he is very much religious. So he was praying constantly as well. But the worst part for them of being stuck in the cave in, though, as you said, is the claustrophobia and the madness that can ensue. Ed Allan Poe's The Pit and the Pendulum showcases exactly what can happen to someone who has no brain stimulation. We discuss that in detail with the Klondike, or Solitary Confinement, mm-hmm. from Eastern State. This happens to minors, too, but they call it minor psychosis. This hit thrown the worst, because, again, he was the youngest and had not lived through the experiences Felon had. In one moment, he stated, I must have been off my rocker a little. I yelled at Davey, Dave, I'm going home. I'm going alone if you don't want to come. <laughs> bye
1: (laughs) Oh, you know the way out (laughs) all right
0: i guess i'll follow let's go (laughs) he also elicited madman screams i couldn't imagine being stuck in a small room with that you know he also said that he experienced vivid hallucinations he said i saw a door davy i yelled let's go there i crawled toward it but suddenly found myself bumping into another piece of timber i got a bruise under my eye i was so frightened i just went wild i crawled like mad away from dave and fell into a hole I found myself yelling as loud as I could and the echo came bouncing back to me. Exhaustion is what finally calmed me. So he definitely like went insane. Mm -hmm. Felon kept it together, but But anyway, they both experienced what can either be called hallucinations or ghostly visions. They both saw extraordinary images that appeared before them. They witnessed human-like figures with lights. The miners recall they hollered for light and crawled toward the figures. They were bathed in that luminosity, and in it they felt fantastically wonderful and weird at the same time. The figures were dressed in strange spacesuits with softly glowing lanterns attached to their helmets. They stood on a majestic stairwell that rose higher and higher, that even went beyond the vision of the miners. Throne stated, the lights and figures always were in front of us, but the more we crawled toward them, the further away they got. For example, I saw this man, or the dark shape of a man with a light on his helmet, I yelled, show me some light over here, over here. Dave saw him too, but the shape of the man got smaller and smaller as we crawled toward him. Then he was gone altogether. And so yeah, there's conversations that like, are there aliens deep underground? They hollow kind of, Earth. Exactly. It's a hollow earth. Yeah. So I I, I don't think it's aliens. <laughs> Sorry. Even the and Walker Ranch currently, you know, looking into that.
1: If, um, we, if we ever do aliens, though, I want to talk about the Dolce base okay, and absolutely. everything that... Because that's a wacky, wacky Well, the theory. Shepton
0: book actually has a whole chapter on Hollow Earth. And I was like, uh-huh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it more as like angels trying to keep them calm. Because when they were in the light, it kept them calm and it made them feel better. But aliens can do that too and they were in spacesuits. So if people wanted to be an alien, they could be an alien. All right. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. But the most amazing thing, I think, was the door that appeared to them. Now, from the text, it stated, The darkness turned into a scene of wonder as they both saw a doorway outlined in a bright blue light. So, you know, you've thrown talking about doors here and there, but they both at the same time saw this. Felon was actually quoted. He said, On the fourth or fifth day, we saw this door, although we had no light from above or from our helmets. The door was covered in bright blue light. It was very clear, better than sunlight. Moria. If only they had said friend. (laughs) Two ordinary looking men, not miners, opened the door. We could see beautiful marble steps on the other side.
1: One was wearing a wizard hat.
0: We saw this for some time and then we didn't see it. But there's a full discussion of what was inside the door. And it wasn't the mines of Moria because they're already in the mines, PJ. Inside the door, the men saw a sweeping set of marble steps that looked like piano keys almost. They saw an aura that shimmered with an unearthly brightness. They also saw a garden that stretched as far as the eye could see with colorful, bright flowers and green grass. Felon felt he was looking at heaven, at the Golden City. Hmm. Angels and children played harps. He saw his relatives sitting in orderly groups on the steps. He recognized many of them, and even if he didn't know them by name, he sensed his relationship to them and that they were his ancestors. Their presence made him feel very protected and calm. He heard a celestial choir... And he said it was the most beautiful, exquisite music he would ever heard. Now, Throne has his own vision through the door, and he sees similar things. But he does—he's not looking at Fallon's family, of mm. course. But he also sees the door open. He sees the two people. He see—he hears music. That's why it's called, you know, Mi- miracle myth and music. Hmm. But what is most amazing about this story is they both saw Pope John the Twenty-Third X X I I I. You can read that way if you want to. Okay. Yes. They said that he watched them and smiled. His arms were folded respectfully, and they took that as they just knew that it was a sign that they would soon be rescued. In a point of fact, Felon was a devout Roman Catholic, and he had been praying with Throne for the last five days of rescue. Also, Pope John had passed away 10 weeks prior to the mining accident, so it's important because he's dead and they're seeing him. And of all the things, like, no, Felon and Throne never changed their stories, But especially for this, they never recanted this story. They saw the Pope. Hmm. And Felon even so much believed that uh, the Pope stayed with them until they were rescued. He said, quote, he was always a little bit to the rear on my right side and stay with us all the time. Now, people don't know Catholicism. They don't know who Pope John is. Um, But he was both beloved and hated (laughs) by (laughs) Catholics because he was the good Pope. And he's the one who chose to bring, to quote the text, During the Catholic Church kicking and screaming into the 20th century. (laughs) We love him. He was celebrated by liberal Catholics and hated by conservative ones. He was known to actually go out into the world and meet with his flock, so you'd see him visiting, you know, like, polio-stricken children and going to visit inmates. He would also attend parishes all around Rome. And he was also known to stroll around the city at night by himself, which gained him the nickname of Johnny Walker. (laughs) (laughs) But he opened the Vatican II Council yep and that so that became his legacy it made the catholic church relevant again um it allowed the use of other languages for church and prayer i.e english which is so nice yeah. to not be talking in latin yeah 25.
1: vatican one the priest <laughs> had their his back to you the entire time and only s- the whole thing was in uh, latin mm-hmm. like you said so yeah there's no yeah.
0: connection it was yeah it um, had other updates, too, because he wanted the church improved and more modern. To this day, it had seen as controversial. And there are groups who still refuse to follow his changes. So you can go to churches that are all Latin all the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so those still exist. But, anyway, his connection to the Shepton miracle is one of the reasons he was canonized as a saint. Because it was a miracle that happened yeah. after he passed away.
1: Because yeah, you need three miracles to be a saint.
0: Yep. Um, all are in agreement that he would of course be the person to visit these men in a time of crisis because they're regular people that like he, that he'd visit his flock. So regular people asking for help. So he was there, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of cool. So anyway, not long after his visit with the men, they were finally found and rescued. A borehole was used to drill down to the men In a miraculous turn felon's brother actually is the one who told them where to drill. He said right here, he put his X upon the spot, if you will. Right. And so David Fallon down below said that when the drill came through the roof of their cave-in, it almost hit him in the head. But on August 27th, the steel drill that was used to create the 17 and a half inch borehole was removed. Seeing that the hole was full of ledges and dangerous, and irre- irregular crevices, the men realized using pods to get them out would be impossible. Because the plan was to send these pods down, put the men in it, and drag them back up, mm-hmm. but there was just no way with all the different ledges. So their plan then was to extricate these guys by pulling them basically to safety in parachute overalls and lots of grease. <laughs> because again, it's a 17 and a half inch hole. I don't know how if I could fit through that. I'm like, I so attaching the men to harnesses, they were pulled up and out of the cave uh, through the tight borehole. Throne was pulled up first because Felon felt he should not be left alone in the pit <laughs> due to his hysteria. Um, for poor Throne, who does have claustrophobia, it took 15 minutes and 45 seconds to pull him out. And the finagling of his body and, like, rotating his body to fit through some of the harder areas. But for Felon, it took 8 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, Throne stated that having a blast of regular air to breathe was too much, and it actually knocked him out after being down the cave for so long. It was yeah. just too much oxygen. But in total, those men were trapped in the rubble for fourteen days. After being airlifted to the Hazleton General Hospital and cared for, they were finally safe and returned to their family. But this is a scary podcast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's more. I'm ready. Obviously, we have already mentioned ghosts, possibly aliens, the Pope, and heaven. We've seen the next world. But as I mentioned, there were three men initially. Bova, the broken-legged, haven't heard from him in 14 days, Bova, was never found. Not long after the success of saving the first two men, the borehole was sent down to find Bova in the location where they were told about he should be from the two men. They sent down a camera and a microphone through the borehole and saw what looked like a human figure sitting against a wooden mine prop, but there was no movement detected. So they decided this is probably a retrieval mission, not so much a rescue mission for them. Mm-hmm. because having a broken leg, having known that, you know, yeah. So Andrew DeBritco offered to go down in the borehole to find Bova's body. When he reached the bottom, he found a plug used to close up the 12 inch borehole, a piece of rope that looked like human hair and a miner's helmet placed on top. That is what the camera had picked up. There were no bones. There were no clothes. This led to the speculation that felon and Throne had resorted to cannibalism in order to survive. The idea was that they ate boba because he was already hurt and or the smallest of them, because according to some research, um, boba was 120 pounds, the smallest of all of them. Oh, wow. However, a complete lack of bones and body disproves this because humans don't and usually can't eat bones. Yeah. <laughs> crunch, crunch, crunch. Now this doesn't stop speculation that the men did in fact eat Bova, and Bova's son, to this day, still believes his father was eaten by Felon and Throne. Throne was quoted as stating, I don't even like meat. Like <laughs> when asked that question. <laughs> um, Felon said that only evil men could insinuate that he would do that to stay alive. So hmm. Um, unfortunately, our world has many stories of cannibalism to yeah. fuel this sad theory. In 1846, there was our ill-fated Donner-Reed party. Yep. Let's just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> In October of 1972, there was the crash of Flight 571. That includes the famous rugby team, the crash into the Andes Mountains. Mm-hmm. Of course, became a movie, but there, for survival, cannibalism was enacted, but only on those who are already dead. In August of 2010 is our most recent discussion. Chilean coal miners were trapped 2,295 feet below ground. They discussed in detail cannibalism as a possibility once their food stores ran out. Now they didn't have to, thankfully.
1: Yeah, I was going to say when you brought when yeah. you just said that, I was like, well, did they did now, they eat me? Yeah, they
0: discussed it in detail. Like you know, oh, we're going to die of starvation, and when I die, you're going to eat me. Yeah, very similar to the discussion of what happened in the Andes Mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, um,
1: not what happened in the Tauner party. No,
0: not what I know. Oh no, man! No. Another very famous example was the nine hundred day siege of Leningrad during World War II. All supply lines were cut off to Leningrad. After they had eaten all their zoo animals, their pets, birds, and all the rats, unfortunately, gangs resorted to hunting pedestrians. While some ate the dead only, Leningrad police uncovered human carcasses draped on meat hooks. In total over 1 million citizens died in that siege and over 260 people were imprisoned for cannibalism. Wow. Yikes. That was during World War II.
1: Can I just share the scariest, well, not the scariest, but a scary image from the Donner Party? Yes. So they're on, they're in the mountains trying to get, you know, they they're told there's a mountain trail, a shortcut off, you know, over to California. They're in the mountains on top of feet and feet of snow. I think it was like mm-hmm. 20 feet. They're chopping wood. One of them is chopping wood.
0: Oh, I hate this story.
1: And I- the head of the axe falls off the handle and into the snow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How terrifying would that be? Like, there goes our axe. Like, I can't dig to get that. <laughs> I know. Ooh.
0: It's like, God did not like these people. Or it's like, I don't know. I like, get <laughs> Everything about that story it's just like oh mm-hmm.
1: everything there's like no good luck no. for any of them.
0: I don't want to draw the short straw. yeah <laughs> so anyway, unfortunately for then Shepton, the question becomes no while we know it's a mind disaster was it a miracle or was it a murder a monster of a murder really? And that's the question that we'll never have answered um, yeah. because all those who are a part of it, are now dead yeah. fell and passed away of old age as did throne now personally when i read through everything i feel it was a miracle because it's a mining disaster <laughs> 70 feet of rubble closes off you know yeah. the the mine shaft and one of them, at least, has to be hurt, you know, because you're yeah. getting hit by bowling balls yeah. of of debris. And we in Civil War, of course, you're getting hit by, by cannonballs and you're losing legs, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So if Bova, like, said, like, I have a broken leg and it's I'm in extreme pain, he's not going to last 14 days. Because no. he's probably bleeding, if it's a compound fracture, he's bleeding. So there's even more yeah. problems for dehydration. At the
1: very least, internally.
0: Yeah, and then disease and, like, you know, the meat turning green because... Uh, you're putting all that nastiness into your cut. Yeah. And then with all the different, you know, continual drops of rubble, if he can't find a monkey shaft, that's it, you yeah. know? So, like, I personally think, like, in terms of, like, the odds, getting two out of three, out, three out of three ain't bad, you know, getting him out of there. Yeah. Um, And just the fact that there's no bones. I know, like, no body, no crime, like, it tends to be, like, our, our mm-hmm. conversation. But you'd think that the guy who goes down there would have found something, If they had eaten somebody. Right. You know? Yeah,
1: that's the only thing. Like, I want to, you know, A, I don't believe it was murder. If they did eat him, it was because he had already died and they needed to survive. B, if they ate him. There should have been remains. The whole, yeah, there wouldn't have been a whole
0: body left. You can't eat 120 pounds of meat <laughs> in yeah. 14 days. No. But like, especially when you're stressed, your hunger actually dips. You're not hungry mm-hmm. because your body's in that fight to survive. And you're cold. Yeah. So your most prescient worry is getting warm and then drinking water. Yeah. And then if there's time, eating something else. Yeah. And Felon, being a well-known and you know well-versed coal miner, he's like, hey, we're going to chew on wood shards. It's going to fill our stomachs very similar to the what was the fox in the marsh what was that story of the guy that was the civil war who had his guys in the marsh stuck on buttons
1: oh, yeah yeah I,
0: I it's i'm pulling from the recesses of my brain mr marshman i'm sorry for getting the whole thing wrong here but that idea like you keep your your salivary glands moving that way you won't you won't feel dehydrated you know so he was well versed in that and so having you know him and throwing chewing on wood at least is going to keep them yeah
1: the guy mel gibson's character was based yeah, on in the patriot, patriot.
0: so it must have been during revolutionary war not during civil war yeah but, and regardless you know i i personally feel it's a miracle now it's not just because i'm catholic <laughs> but because <laughs> they saw like you know aliens too <laughs> so they could have been seeing hallucinations mm-hmm. but having the same hallucination
1: well i mean if one guy says like do you see that and the other one's like yeah he's like he looks like an alien Yeah, you know, like they could be like imprinting, you know, similar to how illusion or not illusion, um, hypnotists work. You know, like a guided hallucination. One starts seeing something and says it, and then suddenly the other one can see it now too. That's possible.
0: Well, and these guys did go through like some some tests and whatever. Or I was reading the in the text, and psychologists like don't want to admit that they could have seen something otherworldly. So they said, yeah, they don't show any signs of psychosis um so we're gonna go it's probably hallucination like they, they couldn't do anything else <laughs> yeah um but i thought this was a good story to tell just because this weekend was supposed to be our spiritual event this the paracon yeah. with our super best friend kevin paul who have unfortunately had to have some major surgery and his healing so he couldn't uh, he couldn't uh, put it on so looking forward to that next year super best friend kevin paul looking forward can't to it. wait can't wait but I thought this is a beautiful story because you know he is a very into like you know mysticism and you know that the miraculous that can happen every day to people and you know the idea of, like talking to ghosts and having something like a guiding hand there doesn't gotta be a pope you know get over yourself felon <laughs> but you know so I thought it was a like kind of like a nice little homage to our darling Kevin out there who's getting um getting healed still yeah. so what do you think do you think it was a miracle or do you think it was a murder?
1: No, definitely not murder. 100%. Uh, and like you said, like, two out of three, like, anyone would say, like, that's a miracle. You know, that's yeah. that's incredible that, uh, that they survived, that anyone survived 14 days in complete darkness.
0: Well, and uh, the real miracle, I think, was the amount of people above ground who were helping. I didn't even touch in that because I wanted to focus on just the guys on the ground. Yeah. But what was happening above ground? Salvation Army was there, Red Cross was there like they're making a bunch of food every day. Mm-hmm. People are there working they they refused to go home. they were sleeping on the ground and going back to work. like it was yeah. amazing the round the clock work that was happening to get those men out. yeah so the real miracle was just the amount of you know humanitarian help that was above mm-hmm. ground
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, uh, from what the book said too, felon David and his so David felon and his brother weren't really on talking terms. And so this brought them back together. And again, it's his brother who, like, says, drill here. Yeah. So it's crazy, too, that, like, this saves their relationship. Yeah. So I think it's a miracle. I'm well, yeah, I mean,
1: content. like, when when something this serious happens, any petty dispute that you had before is, is gone out the window.
0: Yep. But this is a spooky podcast, PJ. I'm ready. So I want to leave you with the lyrics to a song that came out after... This uh, miracle happened because um, after people heard the story of the cannibalism, possible cannibalism, (laughs) songs were invented. This is for you. Trapped in a mine that had caved in and everyone knows the only ones left was Joe and me and Tim. When they broke through to pull us free, the only ones left to tell a tale was Joe and me. Timothy, Timothy, where on earth did you go? Timothy, Timothy... "'God, why don't I know? "'Hungry as hell, no food to eat, "'and Joe said that he would sell his soul "'for just a piece of meat. "'Water enough to drink for two, "'and Joe said to me, "'I'll take a swig and then there's some for you. "'Timothy, Timothy, Joe was looking at you. "'Timothy, Timothy, God, what did we do?' "'I must have blacked out just about then "'cause the very next thing I could see "'was light at the day again. "'My stomach was full as it could be "'and nobody ever got around to finding.' timothy 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 where on earth did you go timothy timothy god why don't i know written by rupert holmes copyright 1971 by jordan herman holmes publishing incorporated the universal music corporation ascap all rights reserved (laughs) but there you go wow hope you enjoyed that but yeah 1971 came out after this yep timothy timothy where did you go hmm What a happy song.
1: Yeah, all right. And with that,
0: listeners, have a lovely week. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, think spooky thoughts. And please email us, Facebook us, tell us your tales of woe and interest. Goodbye.